Happy 4th of July weekend to you. Great to have you here. Um, as she said, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at the church. And one of the things I'm trying to get in the habit of reminding myself to say is that we really want this to be a place where you feel like home. And I want to try to remember that extend that invitation every week. You know, if it's a place that you've been coming for a while and it doesn't feel home, let us know how we can help with that. And if you're new and you'd like to know um, how we can help, or let us know how we can help, because we'd love to have this be a place that really does feel like home. Welcome back. Um, so anyway, I just got thrown by that. It's so fun. I, you know, a lot of times I don't get to see who's here until you step up now, and it's like, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. That's ah, sorry. All right, anyway, what I, what I want to do, I had this great transition. I was going to talk about home, and then I was going to say, speaking of home, so pretend I was still on the home stuff. Speaking of home, we had a quite a week at the Studensky house this week. Crazy. Some of you guys saw it out there on Facebook land and these types of things. We had an insane week. Um, last Sunday... We had just finished up church. We went out to eat. And I'm sitting there in the restaurant with Andra and my wife. And I get this phone call. And I take a look at the phone call. And it's from my neighbor, Rob. My neighbor, Rob, never calls me. So I'm thinking I better pick this up. Pick up the phone call from neighbor, Rob. And neighbor, Rob says, one of the trees in your front yard just came down. I'm thinking it's sunny. There's no storms. There's no wind. It's, it's just a nice day. And the only trees in our front yard are big oak trees. Uh, here's a picture of um, the, the types of trees that are in our front yard. You see, there's a house for your establishing whatever, and there's these big trees. And he said, well, one of these has come down in your driveway. And I'm thinking, well, okay, at least he found the driveway. So we go home and, and take a look, and here's what met us at our driveway. The next picture, there's, there's our driveway. We had this great big oak that had just fallen down, calm sunny day. So I'm thinking, we got to chop this thing up, and it's a whole oak tree. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to have to go get a new blade for my chainsaw because I just worn it out cutting up some other stuff. So I go down to Bicewingers, which now, if you're on this side of no man's land, you know, some of you had to face that coming this way, right? You know what I'm talking about. And, and so I make the long trip over there, get my chainsaw blade. I'm coming back, and I get another call. This time it's from Laura, my wife. And she says... Another tree just came down. And it only almost hit my dad. Her, her dad was there helping out. My father-in-law, Ron, was there helping out. He's helping to do some cleanup. And this other tree, he hears like this crack, and all of a sudden, this other tree starts to come down. And just about hits him. I'm thinking, this is not good. Because now we have a trend. We have a trend. Trees are falling down on a calm, sunny day. Now... If we can go to the next slide, it's hard to see because this is just off of my phone. But again, there you see my house in the background. Do you see that clump of trees there? This is with just one of the trees down. Let me, because it's hard to see, I, I brought some visual aids here. And because I'm the prop department, this is the best I could do. All right. In our front yard, I think it's that funny. In, in our front yard, we had, a, we had a cluster of five huge oak trees that all kind of were, were together like this. Now, what was happening was, can we go to that shot of the roots? What was happening here is that normally trees have roots. Ours didn't have roots anymore. It had just rotten out. It was like you stuck a pencil or a fun noodle in the sand. And so the only thing now holding up this cluster of five giant oak trees are each other. That's the only thing holding up these trees are each other. And one of the trees fell down, boom, while we were at lunch. So now you had five, now we got four. One of them falls down when I get to my chainsaw blade. Boom. So now we've got three trees left. 
in our front yard. Well, we have some more than that, but in this cluster, there's three. Now, one of them is now leaning at about a 45-degree angle out over the, the, uh, the street. And I'm thinking, you know what? No problem. We've got the street already blocked off. Our neighbors had pulled their trucks out, blocked off the street. No problem. We could push this one over, you know. Just clear the way. We'll get it down. No problem on that tree. This tree is angled at some other trees. That's not going to be fun. Have you ever tried to take down a tree that's landed in other trees? That's not fun. But we can at least get it down. I'm not worried. No one's going to get hurt. You know, it'll be tricky, but we'll get it done. So no problem with that one. This is a problem. Because this tree is aimed at our house. And it's a big oak tree. I, I knew enough to know I can't get this one down by myself. We could put all of our neighbors on a rope pulling this way. And we could cut the little pie and do all that stuff. We play tug-of-war. When that thing starts to fall, we're going to lose. I'm thinking, we got to get this down. Why? Because we have a trend. Trees are falling just randomly in our yard. And so I get into full protect the house mode. Because this thing is going to come down on our house at any time. Every time the wind would go like this, I'd see the, the you know, see those, uh, those leaves start to rustle. So we got this problem. There's a huge oak tree. It's about to come on our house. And I don't have the skills. And nobody in our neighborhood has the skills to get that thing down. Safely. We could get it down on our house. So I'm in full protect the house mode. This wasn't in my Sunday plans, but my Sunday plans had changed. Why? Because we had to protect the house. Why am I telling you this story? It's cheaper than therapy for one. That's one reason I'm telling you this. But the other reason, it's a great illustration for the new series that begins right now. Today we're starting a brand new series. We've been in the book of Jonah. We've just been going chapter by chapter by chapter. Today we're going to do more of a topical. We're starting a new topical series. And this is a great illustration for the new series that begins today. Here's a statement as we start this new series. Here's a statement that I'd encourage you to write down in your notes. And here's what was really in my mind as I'm watching all of this unfold before me on Sunday. You know, a great house is valuable, but a great home that's priceless. You know, as long as we have all the people out of the house, if that tree ultimately comes down on our house and obliterates it, you know, um, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. It would be a big headache, but we'll be okay. Because our home is not that house. We used to have home at 3090 Arthur Street, right? We used to live at, a, at 3090 Arthur Street in Roseville. That was our home. Why was that our home before? Because that's where we were. Your home can move with you. You know, a house is a house. And they can be valuable, but a great home is priceless. If your home is going to be destroyed, it's not going to be the result of a tree. It's not going to be the result of a flood. It's not going to be the result of a fire or a tornado or termites. It's going to be the result of ignoring biblical principles. That will destroy a home. And that's what we're going to look at in this new series that begins today. You know, how do, we, how do we protect our homes? Homes as God created them to be, they're worth protecting. I get an amen to that. Home as God intended it to be, it is worth protecting. It is worth fighting for. It is worth your best efforts and your most passionate prayers. And over the next four weeks, we're going to explore biblical principles that will help you to protect your home or your future home or to help you help others protect their homes 
as you can share these biblical principles with them. When God came up with the idea of a family, he came up with something pretty amazing. And this might sound silly, but, but go with me here for a second. I was thinking about those little turtles that God created, and, and, and when the eggs hatch, they just kind of go to the sea. You know, they grow up without any idea of a home. You know, they just hatch and run for the water and then survive and, you know, that type of thing. He could have made us like that. He could have made us hatch from eggs and then just you awaken into this world and then just go find your way in it. He could have, but, but he designed life differently than that. He designed life much differently than that. In fact, he designed life with a thing called marriage that was to provide a shadow of things yet to come. It wasn't designed for everybody, but it was designed to help us understand spiritual realities. We can see and understand spiritual realities if we get this right, this thing called marriage. Well, what I want to do, I mean, we see it right in the, from the beginning, from the very first book of the Bible. Kids, what's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. Very good, very good. So that's what we're going to look. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to give you one free today. You don't have to ask. You don't have to sign up or anything. We, we just keep a stack of them there at the tables. And at this visit or another visit, if you'd like to take one, please do. You don't have to let us know. They're there for you. Um, as you're turning uh, to your Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, I, I'd encourage you to write this down. Because here, here is something that is so true about marriage as designed by God. Marriage was designed by God. It was designed to be a relationship like no other relationship. And that's one of the things we're going to see right here in this passage. It was designed to be a relationship like no other. All right, this is in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 18 here. Verse 18 says this, The Lord God said as he was creating the world and as he looked out upon it, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this comes at the very beginning. The book of Genesis is a book of origins. And we're, we're reading about the origins of the world and of, of humankind here. And up until this point, everything is good. Many of you have heard me talk about this before. Up until this point of Genesis 2, everything is good. God creates the light, and the light was good. God created the waters and the dry land, and they were good. God brought forth trees and plants, and they were good. God, God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and they were good. God created creatures to fill the sea and the sky, and they were good. God created creatures to populate the land, and they were good. And this verse is where we find the first not good in the Bible. And what is the first not good? It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And what did God do to take that which was not good and make it good? He made, it says, a helper suitable for him. Now, a lot of people, men in particular, men mostly, men almost exclusively, have misused this for all kinds of dysfunctional purposes. The word helper does not indicate at all that, that she is some sort of second-tier person or some kind of second-tier creation. The word is beautiful. This is an English translation. I put the Hebrew word up there, a word called ezer. Ezer is a, a word that, that it doesn't imply any kind of second tierness. It's a word that means one, listen to this, one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. Let me say that again. 
It's a word that means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the help. It's a word that in noun form is used to describe God elsewhere, his relationship to us. What a beautiful image. Can you begin to catch this vision of what God intended here? Men and women were created to supply strength for one another in the areas that we each lack. And the verbiage employed here, it is powerful, it is vivid, and it is exclusive. It's exclusive. These words that are translated, this combination of words that's translated as suitable helper, it's, it's a combination of words you don't find anywhere else, not just in the Bible, but in any literature of the time. It's only used here. Let's continue to read, picking up with verse 19. Genesis 2, uh, starting with verse 19, says this, Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and, and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds, sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, God took one of the man's ribs, and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, Now, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, here's the verse I want us to focus on for a couple minutes. Genesis 2.24 reads, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one. Now, that quote that you see right there is significant. How significant is it? It's so significant that Jesus quotes it later. Jesus draws people's attention here. And he draws their attention there when there were some folks who were looking for loopholes to get out of something that, they, that wasn't all that they thought it would be. In particular, some men who thought marriage should be easy. You know, they were trying to trap him too, but there's a, that's another, another rabbit trail to go down. In the Hebrew culture, look at how, how powerful this statement is. In the Hebrew culture, it was generally not the man who left his father and mother. It was generally the woman who left her father and mother. Usually, when you'd get married, you, the woman would leave her family, and they would add on to mom and dad's house. Not all that different than sometimes things have become in our economy lately. you know. And, but th- what would happen is she would leave them. And here the language is such where, where they're establishing something. It's a twist. It's a... It's a, it's a what? Why is it written that way? It's written that way because this is now the primary relationship. This is a culture, the Hebrew culture, where they put the bar high on community. It was community, community, community. This is a, a culture where you honored your parents, you honored your parents, you honored your parents. If you disobeyed your parents, there were the extreme penalties for that. So they're not trying to de-emphasize the importance of community, not trying to de-emphasize the importance of your Honoring your parents, they are elevating above all that, that this relationship is primary. Wow. Wow. And here's the thing. Not everyone, but most people are born with a longing for this. Most people are, are born with a longing for a relationship like this. I was reading ahead for a series that we're going to do in the fall. Um, later this fall, we're going to do a, a different type of relationship series, and and I'm reading ahead for that. And I came across a quote from a young man, and he says this about his own personal longing to be married. He says, The love of God is better than any human love. Yes, that's true. But it doesn't change the fact that I feel in the deepest part of who I am that I am wired for human love. I want to be married, mainly 
for the day-to-day small kind of intimacy. You wake up next to the person you're pledged your life to. You, you brush your teeth together. You read a book in the same room without necessarily talking to each other. You share each other's small joys and heartaches. And of course, this small intimacy is precious because it represents that deeper commitment to one another. Most people have a God-given longing for this kind of relationship. They dream of a relationship that is so special that even if a giant oak came smashing down and crashed your house, you're okay. It's just a house. It's not your home. Even if someone else, everyone else, turns on us, if the whole world's against us, hey, we've got each other. If we have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you got someone to come home to who cares about you, who loves you, who will be there for you. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. There's a reason why we exchange vows like that on our wedding day rather than when we bring a kid home from the hospital. We exchange vows like that on our wedding day because that's primary. That's primary. If that bond gets broken, If that bond falls apart, then even the house that you grew up in won't feel like a home. On the flip side, if that bond is strong, then wherever, and you have a mom and dad, wherever mom and dad are, can feel like home. It's a primary bond. A great marriage is worth fighting for. A great home is worth fighting for. It is worth your best effort. It is worth your most passionate prayers. And as I mentioned earlier, we're starting this brand new series called Worth Fighting For. It's, it's really about recapturing. We're going to have some practice, especially in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have some real practical teaching from the Bible on this. Things you can do, just specifics you can apply. But today what I want to do more than anything else is just to help us recapture a vision of what it could be. What marriage could be if we followed what God had established from the beginning. And this is, again, it's an important series for all of us. I I know going into a series like this, and this is where I wish I was better at counseling, you know. I know going into a series like this, this is as painful a topic as we can get into for people. Because of sometimes unfulfilled longings in this area, or, or also in the, yep, I know that's what we want, but it's not what we have. And I know that, and I do, but at the same time, I feel it's so important to help cast this vision of what could be, what could be, if we fully, fully devoted ourselves to it, both of us, husband and wife. Here's one of the principles that we're going to be looking at here today. Actually, look at it right now. There's a place to write this in your notes. Marriage can extend and complete who we were created to be. Think about that. This is one of, one of the things that God has for marriage. It, it ex- can extend and complete who we were created to be. Um, please write that down, and then let's take a look at Genesis one twenty seven, Right around this other passage that we looked at. Genesis one twenty seven, Very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. Here's what God says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were both created in the image of God. And there's, there's something about a marriage in which God is represented more fully in 
two in, in men and women than in one alone. I mean, think of the implications of that. This is a case where the Bible is revealing that life isn't always what it seems. There's often so much more to the things that God has put into our world that we give it credit for. We look at the surface, and there's sometimes these great spiritual truths that are evident in these, in these things that are before our eyes. You know, Scripture tells us elsewhere that we might be entertaining angels when we help a person in need. We read elsewhere in the Bible that that baby in the basket was going to grow up and deliver a million slaves out of captivity. A baby in a basket. We read in another part of the scripture about a boy, and this boy with a slingshot, he's going to be the one to take down the giant. There are all these things. We, we read about a carpenter from Nazareth who wasn't what they thought he was. He was a savior of the world. And marriage is another one of these things where if you look beyond the surface, there are these spiritual realities embedded in there. And one of them is this, this idea of, of God's image being more complete with both genders than one. And here's the one that really blows me away when I, when I think about this uh, and, and, and what marriage is. It is only together through mom and dad that we can bring into this world eternal beings who bear our image and the image of God. Anyone else find that profound? Because I find that profound. Profound. I thought only God can do that. No, he allows us to do that. Through, through mom and dad, we bring into this world, we can, some of us, bring into this world eternal beings. And they bear our image as a couple. And they bear the image of God. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Now, it doesn't end there. If we continue reading, we, we come across this in the very next verse. And I just want to focus on this, this first part. God blessed them and said. So God creates and then he blesses them and says. And what he says is, go out. Now, I've given you this amazing world. Now, go out. And don't, let, don't trip over the language of subdue and all that kind of stuff. Because, again, we can get that so twisted. It's to care for, to steward. I've created this world. Now, now you are going to be the ones to care for this thing. And, again, that blows me away. The paint is not even dry on God's incredible creation. It's got that new world smell to it. And God hands the keys to the first couple. Here you go. As a parent... I would not hand the keys to a brand new Ferrari to my kids at this age, right? This is even crazier when you figure you've got this whole entire world and he says, here are the keys. Here are the keys. You go care for this thing. This world filled with so much possibility, unparalleled opportunity, and it is fraught also with unparalleled danger. And God gives them the keys. This is the ultimate treasure hunt. In video game language, this is the ultimate sandbox game right here. Only these aren't pixels. This is real. The first couple goes out to a world where no one had yet climbed a mountain. No one had yet sailed on the sea. No one had written a song or a novel. No one had yet watched the sun set or seen it rise. Can you imagine? Did you see that? That was cool. No one had yet smelled the first flower. No one had yet heard the first songbird sing. Somebody tasted the first strawberry, someone did. Someone discovered how to make fire, how to make fire works. Someone found the first gold nugget, the first diamond. 
All of these discoveries out there to be found. Someone was the first to slide on snow and make a snowball. Someone was the first to swim in an ocean or ride a horse. I'm going to try riding that thing. Right? Soccer people, somebody was the first to kick a ball. Huh? Yeah, says Tim. This planet, and Andrew, this planet is rigged for adventure. It is rigged for adventure. And when properly understood, marriage is among the greatest adventures that two people can embark on. It was that way in the beginning. It is still that way today. Don't lose that. It can be that way today. Consider the elements that make for a great movie, a great epic, a great love story. It's all here in real life. It's all here. There is an unknown future yet to be discovered. There are unexpected challenges waiting that are bigger than we are. There are battles yet to be fought. And let me tell you something. The battles, the stakes are as high as they come. Eternity rests on human decisions. That's insane. That's insane. And I find it significant that as the human origin story opens up, it doesn't open up with a lone hero, some Rambo up there standing alone, but it's a man and it's a woman given to one another at the dawn of time. As the human race begins our great adventure, it's together. This wild, terrifying, and beautiful story if only we could capture this vision of going into marriage. What if we could recapture this vision? A vision that marriage is so much more than deciding who's going to pick up the kids. You know, whose turn is it to empty the dishwasher? What if we could recapture that deepest part of who most of us were created to be? Most men, we are created with a longing for a battle to fight. A lot of us have stuffed it a lot of years, and we've been told it's not a good thing. We were, we, most of us are born, just look at the movies we like. Look at the, the games we played when we were kids. Most of us were born looking for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a heart to win. The heart of most women longs for a home that feels like a refuge from a battle. And most women have a longing to find someone to share life's adventures intimately with. Someone who's going to fight to win her heart. Have you ever considered how perfectly those two desires match up? It's almost as if someone created us with those longings. And that's implied when, when we read earlier in, in, in Genesis 2.18 that God blessed us when he handed us the keys. There's a blessing here for this huge adventure, this epic, this love story. And who would ever pay money? I, I was thinking about this. Who would ever pay money when it comes to movies? Who would ever pay money to, to watch a couple when their greatest adventure is, will he find the remote? Ooh, let's see that IMAX 3D, you know? Or whether or not she's going to be able to find that cute outfit on the mannequin in her size. Drama. Oh, no. Or whether the, the couple can agree, where do we go to lunch? You know, why do we... There are a lot of factors that... that Reduce marriage to that. What if we recaptured a vision for what it was intended to be? What if we could recapture this vision of Adam and Eve, a couple with complementary gifts and strengths, created to supply help in the area the other lacks, born into a world filled with limitless opportunity and danger, sharing a mission from God to care for his creation, 
creation and to maintain a one-of-a-kind united front against whatever comes their way. Let me go back to that one. This is so huge. Maintaining a one-of-a-kind united front against whatever comes their way. There's an adversary who comes your way. He came their way. He'll come your way, whether you're single, whether you're married. He'll come your way. And he's very, very real. And if you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve failed on that front. They failed on that front. An unspeakable evil was released into our world. Evil that now permeates everything. This is why we have mosquitoes. (laughs) And dandelions. And boy bands. Okay, the Bible doesn't mention mosquitoes or the dandelions, all right. But (laughs) it is true, this is true, that the breakdown in a united front between Adam and Eve, it did open the door to a world of hurt. It opened up, when they were no longer together in this against the adversary, it opened up the door to a world of hurt. And they couldn't blame the culture. They were the culture. They couldn't blame their friend's bad advice. They didn't have any other people. They couldn't even blame their parents, which we love to do, right? He had a father, but he was perfect. This was on them. This was on them. And what if we could learn from their mistakes? What if we could learn from their mistakes and protect this united front at all costs? What if, again, instead of worrying about all these mundane things, what if we're like, okay, it's you and I against this adversary, how do we protect this at all costs? This thing that's irritating us, maybe it's not the thing that's irritating us. Maybe there's something deeper than that. Let's not let that thing come between us. The same deceiver who deceived them would love to reduce your marriage to something more mundane. He knows, listen to this, he knows that boredom is to a marriage as rot was to the integrity of the oak trees in our front yard. Let me say that again. Boredom is to a marriage as rot was to the integrity of the oak trees in our front yard. And you'll be bored pursuing just entertainment. You'll be bored pursuing simply nicer things. What about reclaiming this adventure that was given to Adam and Eve? To go into this world filled with possibilities and dangers and to steward it and to make a difference in it. What if we continually ask God to open our eyes to the reality of there's an evil one and he's attacking us and he's attacking our marriages and he's attacking the world. What if we open our eyes to that and then say, God, what would you have us to do together? And how can we support one another in this war? And what can we do to make a difference? Ours is a planet where a powerful and deceptive adversary was hurled to earth. An adversary so cunning, he was able to convince one third of the angels in heaven That's a good idea to go to war against God. Hey, guys, you know what we should do? Let's go to war against God. Okay. Wow, that's cunning. He's an adversary so cunning, he was able to convince the first couple who walked and talked with God in paradise that listening to a serpent was a better idea than listening to their creator. He's good at what he does. Through treachery and deceit, our adversary, he earned the title Prince of this There's another prince. The prince of peace. Who would love to extend peace into your household. Who 
would love to restore what's broken, who doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy, but the opposite, to redeem, to reconcile, to recreate and restore. And what if we started asking the big questions? What if instead of sitting on TV and saying, what will these wacky Kardashians do next? What if, what if instead of that kind of stuff, we start asking God, what is our role in this great war? What is our role in this mission that you've given us to rescue and restore and reconcile this great world of yours? You think that might invigorate? What if we moved beyond playing house? And what if we devoted our best thoughts and our most passionate prayers and our greatest strength into building God-honoring homes, homes that provide light and warmth that can be in what can be a real cold and dark world? Will it be easy? No. On the contrary, it will be among the most challenging endeavors you've ever undertaken. And, and let's all married couples, on three, we're going to say amen, because if you said it too loud before now, you were very wise. If you would have said amen, then they look, what, what? What's wrong? All right? It's hard. It's challenging. We shouldn't just admit that. We should boldly proclaim that. All right? Ready? On three, amen. One, two, three. Amen. amen. All right. It is. It's challenging. In fact, I encourage you to write this down. It is ridiculously easy to get married. It is ridiculously hard to maintain a great marriage. And here's what I mean by ridiculous easy to get married. Back to my illustrations here. This represents... The bar, you ever heard that phrase, clearing the bar? Uh, this represents the bar when it comes to marriage in the United States, how high it is. That's how high it is. All you have to do is find someone to step over that with you. In the United States, I was shocked to learn this when I, when I started realizing, okay, God's bringing me this path. He's bringing me with my life, and, and I'm going to probably be a pastor. And I'm like, okay, well, then how do you do this whole be officiated to, get, to do weddings thing? Do you realize almost anybody in the United States in almost any state can officiate a wedding? Almost anyone in the United States can get a one-day permit to officiate a wedding almost anywhere. And, and did you know there's no, nothing re, that, that resembling standardized vows that people have to make? So this is what I mean by low bar. I, it's a low bar in the sense of you can find just about anyone to officiate your wedding. You don't have to come up with any vows. That's a low bar. God points us to something very different. And that's why we have in the back of the room, we've got this little high bar there with another yellow fun noodle. Maybe you noticed it when you came in. If not, Jeff is pointing it to you right there. And when I say high bar, this is not, this will kill your relationship. If you said, you know, you should be clearing that thing. It's not about you. It's about us. The high bar is a hopefully someday, by God's grace, together we could thing. And it's especially hard when it feels like one you know, is willing and the other isn't. And this is why it's, it's also as much as it depends on us thing. That we just say, God, here I am, and I'll, I'll do whatever I can. I'm going to try fighting for this thing with everything I've got. With everything I've got. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard when both are pursuing it together. And some people might be thinking, well, why? Why is it so hard? Why should it, why should it be? It shouldn't be so hard. 
And if you, even as those words come out of your mouth, I hope you recognize how ridiculous that sounds. It, it shouldn't be that hard. Of course it should be that hard. Have you ever had roommates? Brothers or sisters? This is a fallen world, right? It, it's a fallen world. And, and, and you get two people, you put them under the same roof, there's going to be conflict, right? Now, on top of all that, put all the pressure that comes with marriage, put the gender differences, all that kind of stuff, you put that into the mix, of course it's going to be hard. And, and part of it is hard because of the fallen world thing, but you know what? I believe part of it is there by design. I've heard it said that to be unloving is to fail at the very thing you were created for. Let me say that again. I've heard it said that to be unloving is to fail at the very thing you were created for. I can't think of much that can help you become a more loving person than a post-honeymoon marriage. The only way it's going to work is for you to exhibit more Christ-like characters, characteristics. You're going to need to extend grace to yourself, to the other. You're going to need to forgive. You're going to need to be patient. You're going to need to be kind. You're going to need to put the other first. It's going to cost everything. It has the opportunity to make you more like Christ. What did it cost God to love us? Everything. Everything. And is that a high bar? Yes. And it's impossibly high if it's just the two of you. But you're not alone in even if you feel alone in this, you're not alone in this. You're not. Just as my family and I weren't alone last Sunday and Monday and Tuesday when the trees were falling down in our yard. You know, remember I was telling you this story, that I, the one I opened with, the trees falling down and once aimed at our house. Well, here's how this thing ended. I was resolved to protect that house at all costs. That's it. We're going to protect the house, protect the house, protect the house. And the only way I can protect this house is I'm going to have to humble myself and I'm going to have to ask for help. And so certainly I was praying. I was, I was God, protect the house, protect the house. But I need to do more than just reach up. I needed to reach out. And one of the things I needed to do is I needed to bring in a pro. My daughters have seen what happens when I tried to drop, drop a tree this way that wanted to go this way. You saw what happened, right? To our fence, yeah. And so I recognize, I got to get, I got to get help. I got to get help from the pros. And, and so we got on the phone and, and we called everyone who knew anyone. And I knew it was going to be awkward because all these pros were going to converge on our property at once. I didn't care if it was going to be awkward. We'll battle that out. We just got to get them there. We got to get them there. And someone's got to diagnose this problem. Someone's got to help. And I know it's going to be expensive, but we got to get them there if you want to protect the house. We brought in pros. They brought in resources that we didn't have. They brought in skills that we didn't have. And they not only brought, brought hope into the situation, they actually got the tree down. Next slide, if we can get the, the picture. Here's our house. Here's some logs laying on the ground. House is safe. But now we got a mess. This is just a fraction of the mess. Some of you saw the mess with your own eyes. There is a mess. And so we also had to humble ourselves and receive help from others, inviting others into our mess. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To invite others into your mess, depending on what the mess is. But we needed that. We needed help with our mess. We had to invite others into our mess. We still had a long road ahead, as you can tell there. But as we reached up and we reached out, God sent people to help. Help with our mess. Friends, neighbors, family. Helping to restore 
what was broken. And we're fully aware as a family that this isn't the last challenge we're going to face. We've faced them before. You're going to have leaks. You're going to have, you're going to have all kinds of problems, right? If you own a house, you're going to have problems. You're going to have one challenge after another. We're fully aware. We're going to have other messes we need help with. Many of you have helped us with our other messes, too. We're going to have messes. You know what? But when we face them, we'll face them together. And we'll reach up, we'll reach out. And for a marriage to work, you need to do those things also. Reach up and reach out. There are times you will need to bring in the pros. You'll need to get people that have skills and resources that you don't have. It's a humbling thing. It shouldn't be. We all need it. But sometimes you need to bring in the pros. And we all need the support of family and friends. But you've got to reach out. You've got to invite them in. Let them see the mess. Other times, here's another important thing. Just like this, it's often going to look worse before it gets better. Often, when you're trying to fix what's broken, it's going to feel worse. It's going to look worse before you start to turn that corner and make things better. And also, it's true in marriages, the challenge you face now, there's going to be new ones. Often, they'll kind of stack on top of each other. New ones to face. But if you're going to have a great marriage, you'll need to reach up. You'll need to reach out. And I want to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. One of my favorite, I'm almost done. One of my favorite instructors, instructors in seminary was a pastor named George Kenworthy. One of the reasons I loved him is he was a pastor. And he wasn't just an instructor. And so he, I, I'm a very practical person. And he just would always do lots of practical teaching. There was never fluff. It was, here's real life stuff. And one of the, the, the things at their church, one of their most successful ministries was their ministries to families. 90% of the couples that came to them at Wayzata Ifri, 90% of the couples that came, and they came, most of them, with really, really tough situations, situations where they said there's no hope. 90% of those marriages were healed. 90%. And while every one of those couples had individual situations, there were three questions that he always asked of every couple. And here they are. Do you believe there's a God? Are you willing to apply the principles of God's word to your life? And will you pray for the Spirit of God to strengthen you and your spouse? 90% of the couples who reached up to God in this way and then reached out because this is going to take others to help come alongside, 90% found their marriages healed and restored. Wow. They found themselves back on their way towards that high bar. And here's the closing thought I want to give you. You know what else they discovered along the way? They discovered that God is for them, not against them. They discovered, as they reached out to God and, and, and as they reached out to others, they, they discovered that God wants to help. God wants to help. Hear that. God wants to help. He, he, he wants you to know that it's not just this, you messed up. Yeah, you, he knows you know you messed up. Wants to help. In the in the midst, I have one last picture for you here too. In the midst of all the chaos, there's branches everywhere. There was there was leaves and logs everywhere. I pulled this out later, but this was in the huge pile of debris. We were doing the cleanup, and my wife Laura says, "Did you see this? This log? Anyone else see a smiley face in that log?" <laughs> um, and I thought, "Oh, how cute." You know, Joel or somebody probably just drew it with some ashes or something like that. I brought the log. Examine it yourself. I don't think any human hand did this. We needed that. 
in the midst of our chaos. You know, some people get a saint in like their potato salad. I, I must be <laughs> not, not sophisticated enough for that. Here's the obvious, smiley face. But isn't that, what a perfect little touch. This is what you'll discover if you wholeheartedly say to God, here I am, God, wholeheartedly turn to him, you're going to be met with this from him. You may not be met with this from other people in your life, but you'll be met with this from God. A God who says, I would love to help. And let me give you an inner peace. Let me give you the assurance that I'm with you. Let me know that, let, let, help me to let you know that if the rest of the world is kept, I'm with you. And that this life is not all there is. There's a day coming where marriage itself is just going to be a shadow of the intimacy you're going to experience with one another. God is for us, not against us. So that's why we want to give you an invitation to respond to this God today. We have, in, in what you see up here, some elements, and, and we're going to um, give you the option of, of participating in something that's called Holy Communion. Communion is just a relationship word. Communion just means to have intimate fellowship or to share thoughts and ideas. But what makes this communion holy is that we're going to say, first and foremost, that God, we're doing this in remembrance of you. In remembrance of you who sent your son. You so loved our world that you sent your son that whoever would believe and put their trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We're, we're going to remember that. And then we're going to dedicate ourselves fully to say, as we come forward, we say, God, here I am wholeheartedly. Because God wants to bless, but God doesn't bless half-hearted. God doesn't bless, if they will, then I will. God doesn't bless selfishness. God will bless, though, those who come and say, here I am, as much as it depends on me, I give myself fully to you. And I'll do what you say, and I'll follow where you lead. So we want to give you that opportunity. And at our church, um, we... What, uh, what we do is instead of having ushers, there's nothing wrong with ushers, but instead of that at our church, it's kind of messy, going along with this messy theme. What we do is we'll have the servers come forward first, and then the servers will go off to the side, and then instead of ushers, we just ask you to make a conscious decision to come up. So there won't be someone saying, now it's your turn. We just ask that if you would like to participate, gather around the Lord's table with the rest of us who have got messy lives, we would love for you to join us for that. So you might have to Taps them on the shoulder and say, excuse me as you go through. Um, but we'd encourage you to, to, to come forward. It would be best if Ken come down the center aisle. Because then you can see Smiley. But also, it'll just help us a little bit with our messiness. So let's all pray together. And we're going to have some common prayers. This is one of the, the Holy Communion sometimes called coming to the Lord's table. It's a common table that we come to together. So we're going to pray some prayers together um, that are representative of all of us. And then, and then we'll invite you to make this your own. All right, let's pray. Please join me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive. 
but say the word and we will be made clean. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would take this time now and unite us. Even though we come from so many different perspectives surrounding marriage, Lord, we pray that you would unite us in this particular thing that that you said to your people. Unite us that, that we could encourage those who are pursuing this. We could encourage them to to pursue this dream with all their heart. For the single folks, Lord, that you would give them peace. That if this is a desire, Lord, that you'll help them to trust you and to continue to walk in your ways, knowing that that you will make their path straight. Lord, we pray for those who are really struggling in their marriages, Father, that you are going to impart hope. And that, that people will find you trustworthy. And Lord, we pray for those who who are trying to walk this out, that you'll give them strength for the journey ahead. So Lord, we unite around these things and and we come to this common table and and we, we, we ask that you would help us to be fully yours. Help us to leave behind the hurt and the pain. And, and Lord, we pray you would break that which would keep us from the altar. Break that pain, break that hurt, break that, that hopelessness. And help us to, to come forward to you and to come forth with hope and with joy. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Pray that in Jesus' name. And as one last act of solidarity, we also pray a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. We want to be that. Please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory. Forever and ever.